Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. This is where we look at various nutrition and fitness-related topics through the lens of application. We want to give you practical takeaways so that you can create your healthiest, best self backed by knowledge. Now, on to the episode with your host, Coach Lisa. Hello, and welcome back to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. My name is Lisa, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with chiropractic doctor, nutritionist, and coach, Dr. Jeff Crippen, also the author of Timeless Youth, his new book that just came out this year. And I'm very excited to talk to him about all things nutrition, holistic, sort of healing, and um, yeah, the contents of his book. So welcome to the the show, Jeff. Nice to have you on. Awesome. Pleasure to be here, Lisa. Thanks for the invitation. Well, I would love for you to just introduce yourself um, and kind of start with your background story. I've read a little bit about it, but just how you got into this field and what brought you to this holistic approach and uh, writing your book, really. Yeah, so what brought me into healthcare was, you know, quite quite a journey, as I'm sure it is for most of us in the journeys of our life. But for me, I had no intention of ever getting into healthcare. I mean, the closest I got as a child, when I was like seven years old and you go to like fill out, you go to get blood work and you have to fill out the form and like they open the window and you have to give it back to them. And then the lady goes, son, I know what you're going to be when you grow up. And I was like, oh, what was that? Like at that point, I was thinking like astronaut, like I was at that point in my life. And she goes, you're going to be a doctor. I said, a doctor? Why? She goes, because I can't read anything you just wrote on this paper. <laughs> so like, That was the beginning. That was the closest anyone thought it was going to be to that. But um, I really had no interest in in health or healthcare until um, my health really kind of screeched to a halt and, and really started to turn down. So how that manifested is I started to get headaches when I was about six, seven years old. Um, they progressed over about the next, you know, 10 years or so. And it's worst, I had a headache for two years, every moment, every day, nonstop. Saw a dozen different doctors, you know, pediatrician, neurologists, went to a neurosurgeon, had some CAT scans in my brain, had or what well, CAT scan had about a dozen MRIs in my brain looking at, um, there was a, a mass or a growth in there that turned out wasn't causing the headaches, but they looked at that. So it went through a dozen doctors, a dozen different prescriptions, just looking for the answer of what the heck is causing the pain in my head. And what I realized is that was the wrong question. The wrong question was to ask what's causing the pain in my head. The right question is to ask, you know, what's, why is my body not expressing health in that situation? Why is my body manifesting this pain in my head? And so instead of, instead of treating the symptom, let's look at the underlying cause. So an example might be you walk into a dark room and you could either sit there and fight the darkness and try to get rid of all the darkness, or you can just turn on the light. So my experience with medicine was a lot of it was trying to fight the darkness and cover up the darkness and hide it when really what I needed was someone to teach me how to turn on the light. So that was the beginning of that journey. Um, eventually, um, the headaches got you know, tremendously better. They're gone now. I, it's, it launched me based on a 25-year journey of health and studying and reading and learning. And that culminated with, um, you know, actually was in college. I changed my major. I was looking at business and a couple other things that way. Ended up majoring in Spanish. I went to um, chiropractic school, worked on a degree as a certified traditional naturopath, and I've been in practice for about the last dozen years or so. Helping other people, yeah, kind of turn on that light instead of fight the darkness. 
Super cool. And yes, that's actually something that I definitely wanted to um, share with our listeners as well, because one of the things when I first looked into your story was or seeing your mission. And I just I love it so much because it's also very similar to my mission. And I'd read to live life to the fullest and to help others to do the same. And I just yeah. think that that is so beautiful. I mean, regardless of um I guess why we're in the health and fitness space or so, I think that that should always be at the forefront of our mind. And sometimes people forget that. Sometimes it's all about the numbers. It becomes, you know, when it comes to losing weight, it, it becomes about just how you look or whatever. But are we truly living life to the fullest anymore if it's just an obsession about weight or, or what we look look like? And I think it's such a such a pity if we forget about that because life is short really and so if we don't live it to the fullest we only um we have been given so much so it's only it's only the right thing to try to live it to the fullest um i yeah just wanted to say that i love that mission yeah thank you because i think it's you know that the health um you know our body ends up being a vehicle for us you know to accomplish what we want in this world and with others and you know the better quality we can keep the body, the better we can accomplish whatever our goals and dreams are in life. And it was precisely that idea. I've heard you talk on your podcast about kind of stoic philosophy and kind of personal development and presence. And that was actually, um, so I work at a coaching and leadership training center and I've been there for about a dozen years, which is how I ended up in us about St. Joe, Texas, which is where I am. It's a small town of about a thousand people. So the way I ended up here was specifically, that and what I realized as I was going through this journey is um, there's other things that can stop someone from living their goals and their dreams than just their health. Like when mm -hmm. I had debilitating headaches and I spent two years, you know, in the bed most days when I wasn't, you know, go to school, come back, lay down and just, you know, be in constant pain. My health was stopping me from living my best life. And then I realized there's a lot of other things that can stop people from living their best life other than that. So that kind of intention to live life to the fullest got me into the healthcare space and then, you know, led me into um, just looking at stress and looking for other aspects um, that are holding us back and kind of trapping us and being that best expression of ourselves, however we want to express that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think um, that also shows nicely in your work because you you say that you have a very holistic approach so i i think in the sense of um i guess nutrition impacting perhaps well everything you know how, how we feel then at the same time also our mental health being impacted by nutrition and vice versa like everything is just sure. interconnected so i um i'm curious about your approach when it comes to nutrition and your clients because I could imagine that a lot of people come to you not with the aim of changing anything about their nutrition they might say oh this is this is hurting or you know something like that and then you're you're talking to them about their nutrition that they're probably going to think I'm not I didn't specifically go to you for that or I don't know well, yeah what's your what's your um I guess your philosophy when it comes to nutrition sure so um I'll sep so that's a great question. So I'll separate that into like nutrition in terms of like diet and nutrition and like food and then nutrition into like whole food based supplements. Cause a lot of supplements we like to use are food based rather than kind of synthetic supplements and then kind of botanicals or herbs. Um, so the philosophy on it. So, so your question is, you know, why do people come and how do they kind of get here and, and, and kind of how does that feed into it? And, you know, we've been fortunate, almost all the patients who come to us 
come based on a referral. So it means that they kind of know what I'm up to <laughs> before they come. And a lot of and a lot of how that drives is um, patients dealing with something chronic that either they've been to the medical system and haven't found a great answer for, or they just said, I want an, I want an answer that's not drugs or surgery. So for, for whatever, however they get there, that's kind of where it comes in. So whether it's something like blood pressure or a thyroid issue or low energy level or cystic acne or an autoimmune disease or, you know, bowel issues or things like that, you know, what I found is, um, or obviously, you know, even more specifically, you know, like a type two diabetes or elevated blood sugar or things like that. Diet is, you know, incredibly, incredibly important. And in fact, I'll, you know, tell most patients it's 50% of you getting better is kind of what you do there. Um, and, you know, we can talk through kind of what I do generally, but it, it, which depends person to person, but generally we're talking about some good quality protein, especially animal protein. We're talking about some heavier on vegetables than most people are. And then, um, you know, depending on their blood sugar, it should depend on some other stuff, kind of where we go with those other pieces. And then we can fill in foods therapeutically, like for example, one of the best foods for a gallbladder is uh, beets. So beets and beet leaves um, can prevent, you know, there's one, one study I was reading that up to 85% of all gallbladder surgeries could be prevented by beets and beet leaves. So that's a, so we'll do things like that depending on where that is. And then we'll do individual, um, you know, muscle testing or kinesiology to determine what organs of the body are strong, which ones are weak to make specific recommendations for someone. So it could be based on in-office testing. It could be based on blood work, but really trying to understand the symptoms are telling us a story, mm -hmm. right? This, the blood work tells you a story, but the wrong thing in my opinion to do, or the non-optimal thing is to treat the blood work or treat the symptom, right? We said it's more important to know what sort of person has a disease than to know what sort of person, than to know what sort of disease a person has. So if you go back to seeing, can you see the whole person there? And what do those symptoms tell you about in the context of the history? And if, you know, a first visit, we'll typically schedule an hour to talk to someone and really understand what's they're going on, where their stressors are, what are their symptoms, what are their experience of that, to try to put a comprehensive program form to address, to address them and the wholeness of them and have that improve the symptoms as well. So kind of the, the what I'll, another thing I tell patients, you can't be healthy and sick simultaneously. So if we just work on making you healthier, by definition, those symptoms are going to improve and get better. And that's really where we try to work on that. That's awesome. That's a, I think that's a great visual on the spectrum because it really is a spectrum. It's, it's not a you're either sick or you're healthy. It's, it's, you know, it's a sliding sort of um, spectrum. Um, something that I, that caught my attention when reading about, reading a little bit into your, your book, which is called Timeless Youth or U-TH. I like that. Yeah. Um, and you said it came out just in the beginning of this year. And uh, one of the chapters in there are, is called, is about the placebo effect, essentially. So I, I would like to hear your take on it and um, also what you believe the placebo effect can can tell us really about our optimal health because it's it's th thrown around so often, especially when it comes to to supplements or you know for for one person the um, higher rep strength training works better than the than the 
lesser reps and and just our I guess for me a lot of it is personal bias sort of which plays into that um but yeah what can it what can it teach us about our optimal health yeah so I think what it can teach us is that there's a lot more to health than just the physical right and so so kind of the definition of a placebo is um something you know people may know this is a sugar pill but researchers will give will give um kind of their subject something and then they'll compare it to an intervention and kind of see which group does better. And ideally what you want is the intervention to do better than the placebo to prove that it's doing something. But the interesting thing about it is, you know, 30 to 50%, around 30, but it can go higher. About 30% of people will do better just taking a sugar pill. So the question is, what what are we activating in those people? You know, what is just the idea of taking something that's totally inert, that physically, by definition, is doing nothing at 30% of the people and getting better? And what I think it, it, it hints at is sometimes it's about more than just the pill right there. It's, it's more about the connection you may have with the doctor or the researcher. It's more about the importance of empathy. It's the importance mm-hmm. of presence. It's the importance of understanding. It's the importance of that real genuine connection of like talking to a great friend and being able to go like, oh they got me. And you almost like feel better after talking to a friend, right? <laughs> it's like, it's because there's a lot more to our health than just the physical body. So um, what I think it means is, is those factors, those soft skills, um, but the presence of a doctor, the focus, the ability to understand, the ability to ask questions are incredibly, are incredibly therapeutic. And you can awaken the kind of the inner ability of the body to heal through that one interesting story about the placebo that I get into in the book is a lot of people think it happens with pills, like a sugar pill, like I mentioned, but there was a gentleman actually down in Houston and he was, um, uh, yes, an orthopedic surgeon. He worked for an, an NBA team in Houston. He worked for the U S Olympic team at one point. So this guy was a big deal. And what he was trying to figure out is which type of surgery for the knee was more effective against arthritis. So for, for patients with arthritis. So one is there's a surgery where they go in and shave down the cartilage. And there's another one where they flush out the joint. And he wanted, to, he wanted to see what was better. Was it the shaving or the flushing that helped people improve the most? So he went, they went in there and they had three groups of people. One that got the, sh- the shaving surgery, one that got the flushing of the knee joint, and the third one that got a placebo. And what they do is bring the patients in, sedate them just before they were going to make that incision. Uh, they'd open a card and it would say, you know, shave, shave the cartilage, flush the joint or nothing. And if they got the nothing, if they got the shaving and the flushing, they do that surgery, about a 45 minute procedure. And then they let them out. If they got the nothing, then they would make the incisions, talk like they were doing something, but never actually go into the body. Just make a couple incisions, heal them up. All of them got physical therapy at the end. And, and then he was curious. So which one did better? Was it the shaving of the knee joint or was it the flushing? And what he found is they both did roughly the same. But what was shocking to him is the people who got the placebo surgery did exactly the same as the people who got the real surgery. Wow. So then, so he had a sobering realization. And and what he said is he had to confront the fact that his surgeon as his skill as a surgeon and one of the top surgeons in his field was useless in helping people heal. So this idea of, you know, how much is is the patient reaching to get better, want to get better? And then how can we as coaches or practitioners work with the patient to get them on their purpose line, to find out what will work for them, to solve some of those obstacles in terms of time or money or, you know, kids or whatever those obstacles are, to get that aligned can be incredibly, incredibly powerful. And I think the power of that, um, 
goes beyond it because we've got an internet. I mean, we have a, what could easily be called a healthcare crisis right now. And the disease, it's more of a disease care system than a healthcare system. But then in that disease care system, we are spending, you know, billions and billions of dollars a year. Most of those um, interventions have, you know, many, many side effects. We've got thousands of different procedures and medical devices. And yet we know that 30% of the time people will get better with the placebo. So I think it's worth investigating, not how we can give people, you know, fake fake pills or placebo pills, but how we can utilize these non-physical skills like presence, like understanding, like empathy to evoke and elicit healing in our patients. Because just like, like you can with a best friend, like that feeling you have with a best friend where you talk to them and you just kind of feel better. If we could incorporate some of that into healthcare, I think we could dramatically lower costs and, and make a much, much better experience for the patients. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree with that. And I mean, that's a great example that you brought there with your friend, um, but yeah. I've heard of others, um, studies before, for instance, one, again, more related to training and um, where they gave a group um, testosterone a replacement, another one a placebo and another one, I think nothing. And the funny thing is that the people with the testosterone replacement, like their testosterone actually, or not, sorry, sorry, I'm butchering this. That was like, yeah, they, they gave them um, testosterone, but it was about muscle growth essentially. And the people that got the placebo, um, thinking that they were receiving exogenous testosterone, their muscle growth was equally as high <laughs> as the yeah. ones that actually got testosterone, like crazy. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to say is, um, you know, in terms of what you mentioned, how we can improve our healthcare system. And I, I do think that education does play a big role there. Um, because again, there was another study done where they told um, hotel workers that the physical labor that they were doing with changing the beds and vacuuming and whatever was actually great for their health, was keeping their back strong, was giving them the extra energy expenditure and so on. And they actually burned more calories um, after being told that they burned more calories and they were happier doing their work um, than other people where it was just like, uh, doing your work is stressful, you're, you're um, putting strain on your back, you're increasing your likeliness of having um, a herniated disc or you, whatever it was, and then they became unhappier and their energy expenditure stayed the same. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. it truly is about what, like our perception of things, especially stressors of various kinds um, that, that makes up for so much of what's happening in our body. Have you found that to be the case in your clients as well? Yeah, you know, a hundred percent. And what I'll tell you is I think, um, you know, most people over overlook this or kind of say, oh, this isn't, you know, it's so simple. It's easy to say this isn't that powerful, but I'll tell you one of the most powerful questions someone can ask themselves in relation to their health is just when you wake up in the morning, just ask yourself the question to describe your mood level and just having awareness of the mood level you're operating in. And just simply, is it a day you're on the positive and like feeling happy or uplifted or is it a day you're kind of sad or angry or kind of pissed off because what, what they, what they can see is, you know, just being on optimistic or having a positive mood level can increase lifespan between seven and 15 years mm -hmm. over being pessimistic. And they've seen it even with identical twins. So th that mood level, you can almost think of that's like the ocean, the cells in the body are swimming in. 
And by doing things to cultivate a positive mood level, it's like you're swimming in a clean ocean with all the nutrients and bathing those cells and everything they need, or you're bathing those in, in a bath of toxicity and fear. Now, what I want to be clear is this doesn't mean you live in la la land and pretend everything's good. But what it does mean is when those moments of fear and anxiety and nervousness come up, that I just encourage you to like, and what I found effective for myself and clients is you fully experience it. You, you allow your body to go there. It's that whole thing when somebody passes away, you know, the little thing you don't want to do is ignore it. You want to, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you want the coaching just like to, to feel the sadness and really embrace it and have that good therapeutic cry. It's that kind of idea when, when there's, when these, when these emotions come up, these negative emotions and they'll come up for all of us, maybe most every day, <laughs> depending on how that goes, the idea of embracing them and leaning into them and allowing your body to experience it allows that emotion to release and dissipate. Because what we want to do is honestly allow those to dissipate and release and continue to move towards the positive. So one way to do that is describe your mood level spot. Hey, I'm feeling a little angry and upset today. And, you know, and allow yourself to move into and move into and experience that that anger or that upset, which will allow it to release. And then the second thing is you can cultivate. So experience the negative and then cultivate the positive. And there's different ways to do that. One of my favorites is um, a gratitude process in the morning, just starting with, you know, what am I grateful for today? And I've, that's something I've probably done for about the last 12 or 14 years and, and, and something I encourage patients to do because I feel like it really is a powerful thing to put me on the positive each morning and just kind of look for look for good. It's kind of like when you're out there looking and, you know, you, you're looking at buy, buying a red car and all of a sudden all you see is red cars on the road kind of mm -hmm. thing. I think a gratitude process can have that effect as we it, it trains your attention to look for things to be grateful for and positive about, which will have a tremendously important effect on your health. And just to get that, and I said, raising your mood level, positive mood level will add between seven and 15 years of your life. That may seem incredible, especially considering Wearing a seatbelt will add like two or three years to life. Normalizing blood pressure and cholesterol will average between one and three years to your life. Stopping smoking will add about five years to your life. So we're talking about something that's three to five times more powerful than blood pressure, smoking, cholesterol levels. And how many times have you been to a doctor where they ask you, describe your mood level as part of your routine lab work? <laughs> right? I'm Not so a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, we, but we know it's so that's because it's outside the paradigm. It's outside that paradigm of medicine. But what we know is actually it's it ought to be in there because it is, like I said, three to five times more powerful than a lot of those interventions we typically look to. Absolutely. I, I love that. And I myself have been doing a regular gratitude practice probably for the last three and a half or actually maybe more for four and a half years. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's so simple because it can even just be... Um, I'm grateful for my breakfast that's come that I know is coming up. I'm grateful for the bed I've been sleeping in. And again, like you say, if you train your mind to think in those even small ways, it's 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 still so powerful. Um the thing that I was going to piggyback on in, in the sense of asking yourself or describing your mood level, um is well, first of all, that's that's very, very helpful. Um and I think it sometimes takes practice to even just be able to describe that mood level because yeah. I think uh, at times we feel anxious and we don't actually know how, like there are different 
kind of anxious, right? It might be like the stressful anxious it might be like, oh shit, what's coming up anxious. It might be feeling anxious about something that happened yesterday or something. So there, there are different kinds. So I guess expanding your vocabulary when it comes to describing um, your state of mood is very helpful. But I think also, at least for me, that's incredibly helpful is also asking myself why am I feeling that way because sometimes it might I I don't know why and then, then I'm like oh it's actually just because I just read 10 minutes ago I read this negative email well yeah. actually it wasn't that important why am I even so stressed about that but I, it's, it still is kind of manifesting in my body but then at other times it might be something like oh I have this big deadline coming up and it's feeling daunting so then by by realizing what it is that I'm feeling anxious about it's giving me the tools to attack that more um smartly because I mean the example of this email well that's what do I need to do either respond to that person or ignore it because it's nothing I can change in the case of the anxiousness about what's coming up okay what can I do that I'm about that I'm going to break down how I'm going to study or or work towards that and then I can focus on what do I just need to accomplish for today and everything else can be out of my focus and that makes it feel so much more manageable so just in the sense of my anxiety I guess and and I think asking yourself that that question like why am I feeling this way why am I feeling tense in my shoulders why am I feeling stressed about this and that person it can it can really open up a lot of eyes and seems so or doors because um I guess it seems so logical but often we don't know why we're feeling a certain way we just feel a certain way we just feel off yeah and I think you brought up a couple of really great points there just by this so you can't describe what a house looks like while being locked in the bathroom mm -hmm. right so when we're stuck in the mood level we can't describe it so in order to be able to describe the mood level, you actually have to separate from it. You have to step over here and then look back at the anxiety or whatever the mood is and be able to describe it. And as you do that, what have you done? You've immediately created separation. You've immediately created separation. And from then you're able to inspect and then you know find the truth of it. Oh, it's connected to this email. It's connected to this person. It's connected to this. You can, you can instead of being stuck in that whirling, energy of the anxiety you can step out of it and say okay where's this from how can i handle it do i want it here is it serving me and kind of process through it an example of the power of that was there's a study i think it was at ucla and they looked at functional mris so those are the mris of the brain that looks like which part of the brain lights up and they would show people pictures like they show people happy pictures and the, the prefrontal cortex lights up it's the rational thinking it's the the kindness, it's the positivity. And then they showed other pictures that were like war or killing or violence. And the amygdala would light up, which is the part of the brain that responds to fear and anxiety and stress. So that part of the study went exactly how the researchers thought. What surprised them is when they showed people the negative mood levels, uh, sorry, the negative pictures of things like war and violence and killing. And then they asked the, the volunteers in the study to name the mood level they were feeling. What they saw is a shift from the amygdala, the fear part of the brain, to the prefrontal cortex was the rational thinking part of the brain. So it was actually changing the brain function. Same image, same thing happening in life. But what was different is how somebody was responding to it. So when we're in those situations, you know, and we're all going to go through them, 
sometimes multiple times a day, but being able to separate from that and just name the mood changes the, the physiology of how our brain is responding and ultimately how our body's responding. So that, I mean, so there is, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it's an idea may seem like a woo woo or not that important. And, you know, but it's, but there's some really powerful science connected to it. And, you know, we're going to say, this is more important than normalizing your cholesterol. Not to say you shouldn't look at normal blood pressure and not to say you shouldn't smoke, but having this here is, is statistically more important than that. So I think it's really important to, to dive into that and kind of your example you gave around that. Yeah. And I mean, as, as you say, like, even though it sounds like addressing the cholesterol and whatever is still important, but, but just that fear state, that high cortisol state is also going to affect how you're sleeping and processing all the foods that you're eating and what your hormones are doing. It's going to affect how much you're craving certain foods, how much you want to drink alcohol or not, how much like all of that, as you're saying, is so interconnected. And therefore, why not start with something as basic and invasive as this, which is going to have a profound change on your life. And yeah, I guess, um, I mean, you seem uh, so knowledgeable also when it comes to the various fields. Is that something that inspired you to write the book? Or um, yeah, what's your main inspiration and aim with Timeless Youth? Yeah, great question. If I could piggyback on just one thing you said on the cortisol slope, there was a, a study, Whitehall too, that said uh, cortisol slope was one of the single most important factors in predicting longevity. Mm. They're just in and of itself. And, and for the listeners, the so cortisol slope is typically your cortisol or stress hormones highest right in the morning. You want that. That's what gets you out of bed, you know, gets the blood to the brain, kind of wakes you up and gets you going. And then you want that to slowly drop to the day and ultimately be at its lowest point just before bed. So you lay down and within two to eight minutes, you're asleep, passed out on the, on the bed and you have a great night's sleep. So that's the cortisol slope high in the morning, low at night. And we can imagine that if the cortisol is opposite, low in the morning, groggy, tired, difficult to wait up, wake up. And if it's high in the evening, then that's the, I sit in bed, my mind's racing for hours, I have a difficulty sleeping. So that Whitehall 2 study said cortisol slope is one of the single most important predictors of longevity is just normalizing that cortisol. So mm -hmm. to, answer that, to answer that question, um, or to just to respond to that and build on what you were saying, I think that was really smart to use that as an example, because that is totally true. And that kind of connects to, to why I wrote the book. And I think really what it, it came down to is I think one is I want to be able to create a bigger impact beyond just the practice that I'm in. And um, I really think that one of the biggest issues, biggest issues with healthcare right now or disease care is kind of the, the operating system we view it with. It's like our mindset towards it, you know, because the medical system is absolutely fantastic for acute and disease care type situations. But the problem is that the medical system is basically the fire department. You call them when your house is on fire, they're going to douse the house in water. They're going to use pickaxes and break through the walls and they're going to put out the fire, which is great. The problem is after that, who do you need to call? You got to call the carpenter. You got to call the plumber. You got to put the house back together. And what we're doing um, you know, in the U.S. and really it's the same story worldwide is we're calling the fire department 95% of the time when we should be calling the carpenter, right? We're taking this emergency heroic approach to 
to quote unquote healthcare, which is really disease care, but it's creating all kinds of side effects and you know negative long-term consequences. So the biggest thing I want to I wanted to communicate with the book is we can do one of two things. We can focus on treating disease or we can create health. So, okay. So most people say, yeah, great. I want to create health. So what does that mean? Health is a word that is poorly understood or there's not a lot of practical application about what it means. So what I wanted to do, and we were talking as we began that this really aligns with a lot of your philosophy on kind of fitness and coaching is looking at those first principles. But I really want to outline what are the first principles of health so someone can understand and kind of have that mind shift, have that change of mental paradigm towards what that is so that they can understand the destination where they're going. Because every day, because if you're healthy, by definition, you can't be sick. So every day you take a step towards health, by definition, you're taking a step away from disease. And the more I can help someone understand the whole journey, not just Here's the tips or tricks you do today, which are fantastic, and we can talk about those. But what I want someone to understand is the whole journey and and kind of the mindset of what is health, because the more I think they understand that, the more they can take baby steps towards health and by definition take baby steps away from away from sickness and disease. And and that's the short story. The bigger story is I wanted to create a bigger impact and help a lot of people because I was I was a very sick young boy. I had headaches. Um, I had a conversation with a doctor about possibly having brain cancer. They looked at whether I had a tumor in my brain. My mom, went, my mom and my parents, my dad went through the stress and the anxiety of having a child that's sick and going to doctors for 10 years and not knowing what's going on. And I had a lot of doctors give me treatments, but no one who could tell me why I had the headaches. So I got a lot of treatments, but nobody understood the cause. And really what I needed, what I wish I would have known at that point was I could keep chasing the symptoms and I could spend 10 years doing that, or I could understand the principles of health and take step by step getting there. And by doing that, the, the symptoms would take care of itself. And that, if I can get that message out to as many people as I can, um, that would be a great, like great source of like purpose and, and pride and happiness for me. Well, I I love it. I think that's a wonderful why to be writing a book. And um, I mean, even if if you're just helping one person with it, it's already worth it, in my opinion. I'm sure you, you're going to reach thousands with it. So absolutely beautiful. And I think it's also just a nice reminder for people to not give up on if they feel like something is wrong with them because I could imagine, you know, going from practitioner to practitioner, maybe people even said to you like, oh, it's it's in your head and no pun intended there or you're imagining it or um it's psychosomatic which you know it might, might have been but at some point we get to, to a place when so and so many practitioners tell you like i can't find anything you think is this just a, am i just imagining this am i crazy um and like i personally or in, in our practice with nutrition coaching in life we have um quite a lot of women that um have like thyroid issues or or things with their metabolism or and they think um something in my body is changing I don't know what I'm not doing anything different and of course we might be going through menopause or perimenopause or so but um, every now and then like blood markers they show up perfectly fine and yet people are feeling off or feeling like there's yeah. something wrong and I just think it's so important to not give up and not just go for the next crazy crash diet or whatever and just keep looking for those 
um, those healthy habits and that healthy basis, I guess, as well. Um, and and I know I know that um, adrenal support and thyroid and and all these kind of things are things that you're focusing on in your practice as well. So I was wondering, maybe you have some some good tips or takeaways also for people on that front. Yeah, so let's get uh, let's get more specific. So do you want to dive? Let's let's kind of break that down. So you want to dive into thyroid, or you'd like to drive into adrenals, um, or kind of a combination of those two? I guess a combination for you know if 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 someone just in general is like struggling with something, and I I, I guess m everybody almost everybody can benefit from giving their adrenals a little bit of love because almost everyone is under a lot of pressure and stress and everyone yeah. wants healthy thyroid so I guess yes if we just get it broad that would be good yeah that's great so when I think of thyroid so we'll we'll start there because I think you're right I mean I think that idea of we've hit on stress a couple different times we talked about cortisol slope um, we've talked about mood level and we talked about kind of that soup the body's in so what and you brought up and I want to connect it back to what you said about you know psychosomatic or because so what we're saying is stress can affect the body but what we're not saying is it's all in your head because what can happen is when the body's in stress imagine just driving your car at 100 miles an hour 100 160 kilometers an hour for a month then do it for a year what's going to happen to the engine in the car it's going to burn up. You're going to need oil. You're going to need more gas. Well, it's the same thing when you're doing that to your body. So in terms of stress, stress will specifically deplete specific nutrients in the body. Um, it'll show up as B vitamins. And again, and I, I'm, I'm not talking about synthetic B vitamins that you buy on the grocery store shelf. Like I, I like whole food nutrition. So how do you know what that is? The ingredient list looks like foods. If you can't pronounce it, don't take it as my general rule. Um, so so for foods rich in B vitamins, that would be things like liver. It'd be things like nutritional yeast, sweet potato, beets. Those are some of the best whole food sources. And there's, you know, specific supplements that are made of that. So that would be a great start there. Um, you're going to deplete minerals, um, magnesium, manganese, potassium. These are the calming minerals that have a just kind of relaxing effect on the body. And specifically, those minerals are burnt up when someone's flooring the car running 100 miles an hour and um specifically having difficulty falling asleep so those are those are really important there for thyroid specifically i think there's 17 nutrients around the thyroid so the first one is going to be um, iodine that one's pretty self-explanatory uh, the two main thyroid hormones are called t3 and t4 and the three on T3 refers to it as three iodine molecules, and the four on the T4 refers to it as four iodine molecules. So iodines can be very important. Then, then your body can convert T4, which I just mentioned, which is a less active form of thyroid hormone, to T3, which is the more active form, with something called selenium. Selenium is a mineral uh, rich in Brazil nuts. Uh, therapeutic dose is about a couple a day that converts there. So then on top of that, you need salt. So people may be saying, oh, I thought salt's bad for my health or salt raising my blood pressure. Table salt is absolutely a poison and nobody should ever eat it. But whole food salt, things like sea salt, Celtic salt, Himalayan salt is absolutely therapeutic and vital. And without it, you're dead like very quickly. You know, a therapeutic dose is typically one to two teaspoons a day. And so you, you can put that in water, you can put that on food, you can put that on your salad, you can cook with it. However you get it in you, that's generally a good dose for someone. And 
typically you don't see any increase in blood pressure, even up to three teaspoons a day. So salt is very important. And just a note there, any of you listening to this podcast, if you crave salt, if you're like the person like I'm reaching for the chips, I'm reaching for adding extra salt to my foods, that is a sign of adrenal fatigue. That is a sign of way too much stress on the adrenals. And what happens is your adrenals, which are two organs about the size of peas that sit on top of your kidney, and their job is to hold on to the salt in your body. If the adrenals are weak, you pee out or urinate out that salt. So anybody who craves salt, that's a sign of adrenal stress or adrenal fatigue. So sea salt will be your friend. And I'd say split that up during the day and you'll see improved energy around that. So that's three of them. The, the fourth one we'll talk about, we mentioned T3 and T4, having three and four iodine molecules. The T actually doesn't stand for thyroid. It stands for tyrosine, which is an amino acid. So tyrosine is a very important or specifically healthy protein, healthy amino acids, specifically tyrosine ends up being very important there. Um, zinc ends up being very important for the thyroid. Uh, so uh, some of the best food sources of that can be pumpkin seeds, just a handful a day could be a great there. Oysters can be a great one as well. And then the final nutrient is going to be iron. So this is when you're looking at your blood work. You can look at um, what's called a CBC or complete blood count. This is kind of standard blood work all doctors will do. The first three numbers are typically RBC for red blood cell, uh, hemoglobin, and hematocrit. Um, and we want those not just in range, in the normal range, but we want them at the optimal end of the range. So for red blood cells, I like that between four and a half and five. Um, hematocrit and hemoglobin around, so hemoglobin around uh, 14 and a half, 15, and hematocrit around 45. Those numbers can be just a little bit lower in menstruating women, um, but definitely something you want it, you want on the upper end of that range. And then to evaluate iron, um, an iron panel can be helpful to look at. You look at serum iron, which is the iron in the blood, which is kind of like I explained to someone that's their checking account of iron. And then ferritin, which is the storage form of iron, that's like their savings account. So that's kind of when I think through thyroid, we're working through those those seven nutrients are kind of the key things we need to build healthy thyroids. That's from a nutritional perspective. Then if we go from an herbal perspective, there's a lot of nutri a lot of herbs that are very good to support the thyroid. Now, one that specifically, if you said, hey, I want something for the thyroid and for the adrenal, ashwagandha ends up being one of the best herbs there. The active ingredient in ashwagandha, or the key metabolite is something called lethanolides. So the ideal supplement you'd get is one that's standardized for a lethanolide content. What that means is just think if you have two oak trees at your house, like they're going to look different, right? Then imagine if you have two oak trees from different parts of the world, they're going to have different nutrients in the soil. They're going to look different. They're going to have different colors. They're going to change different times of the year. So if you can get a standardized with thanalide content, what you're doing or what that supplement maker is doing is guaranteeing that there's a, a certain amount of the active ingredient in that ashwagandha, which means the tree going over this part of the world or this part of the world or this part of the world is all going to meet those standards or they won't use it. So that one can be very important. Uh, other ones, um, any kind of seaweed, bladderwrack ends up being one of those is rich in iodine. That could be helpful for thyroid function. But I like ashwagandha, I like bacopa, which is also, um, also a very good brain herb, very good for like mental clarity on that, uh, on that end. Um, and then if we get into, uh, get into adrenal, um, whole food vitamin C, this is thing from like bone, adrenal, um, but rather than ascorbic acid, which is what you'll find on the, on the shelf of a supplement store, what I want is the whole food vitamin C like found in broccoli. And the difference is 
In broccoli, you'll find some ascorbic acid, but you'll also find over a thousand different cofactors that make that vitamin C work. So the example I give to patients is the, uh, the, makes, the, the ascorbic acid is like the wrapping paper. The other thousand components are the gift. So when you go to uh, a store and just buy a, a 500 milligrams or a thousand milligrams of, of ascorbic acid, you're buying wrapping paper. And how would you feel if someone gave you wrapping paper for your birthday? Well, unless you really like wrapping paper, <laughs> maybe not great. But what we want is that whole food. So whole food vitamin C, whole food B vitamins, which I mentioned earlier, are really great. And then just some adrenal herbs, um, licorice, romagna, eleuthero, um, ashwagandha, again, can be very helpful. Uh, rhodiola, schisandra, those are some of my favorite adrenal building herbs. And what we'll do is that's kind of the menu we'll think through and then we'll look through someone's diet and kind of customize that based on particular blood work, what kind of the ranges look like and what's going best for them. But that, And then you can talk about other things for adrenals, right? We can talk about the importance of sleep, which I know is something mm -hmm. you talk about, right? Mm -hmm. And you certainly want it, somebody's in adrenal fatigue or adrenal stress, you want to change their training, right? You don't want that person doing long distance ultra marathoners, you want to focus on maybe some strength training, but definitely some restorative yoga, some stretching, like I'll prescribe those people naps, <laughs> like in the sense of just spend 30 minutes a day in the middle of your day, laying down. If you sleep, great. If you don't sleep, great as well. Typically somebody with adrenal issues, you want to eat a little bit more frequently, right? We don't want to uh, go the intermittent fasting is not something we'd recommend for someone like that. So small meals every three, four hours or so would be really great therapeutic dose of salt. So those are some of the, th so anyway, we can go down those pathways more, but those are some of the things I, I, I find very, very helpful and incredibly beneficial to somebody with, with thyroid and kind of adrenal issues overall. I love it. And I mean, uh, everybody, everybody can benefit from those foods that you mentioned. Uh, I like how you put the practical takeaway. You didn't just say like, go and get your zinc somewhere, but it was like, this is, this is, this is in this food and this is in that food. And I found particularly with a lot of female clients, and I mean, this is the broad generalization, but still on average, we don't eat enough red meat or organ meat or meat in general. And it's often like even especially with vegetarians or vegans, or it, sometimes it might just be busyness or not wanting to prepare the meat, not liking the flight flavor of it, etc. And so that is when we really start to run into problems with iron with vitamin b as you're men as you mentioned i personally i have to say i do really like organ meat i like liver i like hearts and often when i post something on my stories i get weird comments about like oh it tastes so gross has, has such a specific taste but it's it's really something that you can get accustomed to and i always try to encourage people to at least try um particularly if you work it in with other foods or if you kind of ground it grind it up and make it even just into like a meatloaf with half um, you know, it might be turkey or a bison or, or even a regular um, ground meat and the other half um, being liver or so. You can get accustomed to it and you're doing a whole heck of a lot good to for, for your body when it comes to those micronutrients. And you're saving a lot of money on 
um, supplements, if you choose, you, you know, in comparison, if you want to get something of higher, high quality. Um, the other thing that I think should be a staple in literally everybody's diet is, is broccoli, like at least uh, every two days or so, even just because it's a, a cruciferous vegetable, it's going to do a lot of good for your liver as well. And, and just in, in general for, as you said, for thyroid and vitamin C content. So I love all these. I hope that somebody took notes here and is going to take that home to their grocery list as well. Um, I really want to honor your time, Jeff, here. So before we wrap things up, um, first of all, everyone should go and grab a copy of your book. As I just learned, there's also going to be a Spanish version coming out of this next month. So if you are a Spanish speaker, or you prefer to read in Spanish, then please go and grab I forgot what it's called in Spanish uh, maybe you can repeat the title because it's a little bit different Eterna algo. Tu Eterna Juventud Juventud yep, you got it there there we go <laughs> um, but I will most certainly link up your website your social media for yourself and your practice um, in the show notes for sure also um, but yeah maybe you have like one last sentence or word of advice that you'd want you'd like to pass on to our listeners yeah, well, I'm just going to jump on what you said about cruciferous vegetables. I just That is, if we talk about reducing breast cancer risk, cruciferous vegetables are probably one of the top foods, if not the top food. Um, so cruciferous vegetables are incredibly important. They change. There's there's different types of estrogen in the body. There's estrone, estriol, estradiol, the three different types of estrogen. You can look at the ratio between different metabolites of estrogen. But basically, cruciferous vegetables are shown to change that and be in, incredibly preventative for breast cancer. So one thing is women, if you have a concern, one is I agree with you, two is fantastic for liver and liver detox, you're 100% right, tons of nutrients in there, including vitamin C. And in addition to that, if you specifically have a concern about breast cancer, what can I do to support breast cancer, cruciferous vegetables, which is broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kale, arugula, cauliflower, bok choy, you can look up the rest, it, go, it goes on and on to there. Our arugula is in there, it's incredibly therapeutic and incredibly important. And the second thing I'll, I'll say on just that breast cancer is, uh, or breast health overall is iodine is incredibly important. So we, we often think of iodine for thyroid health. There's actually much more iodine in the breast than there is in the thyroid. So it's relatively more important for the thyroid relative to size, it's more dense there, but iodine is incredibly important for breast health as well as brain health. So when you're getting that iodine rich foods, these snacks, things like that, you're also benefiting breast health. You're also benefiting your brain as you do that. So, so just, just a couple, couple little things I wanted to leave your audience with there. So that's that. I really appreciate if you guys go pick up the book, um, Timeless Youth or buy a couple copies for, for friends and family. And really what we're trying to do is change the paradigm of health, help people understand what is health, get them away from the disease paradigm and help them create a healthier day, healthier life one day at a time. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or share the episode on social. Very much appreciated. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nutrition Coaching and Life or head to our website, www.nutritioncoachingandlife.com, where we provide more valuable content. Have a wonderful day. Now go out and work on your best self.